Hello, everybody. Dr. Rick Wallace dropping in on you. I hope that everything is going well on your end. I hope that you have gotten your week off to a great start. Uh, as for me, uh, everything is going well. Still recovering from uh, my cardiac uh, uh, scare a little over a month ago. Well, it's been a little more than that. Uh, so it's almost pushing too much. Time flies. Uh, but we are, you know, doing well here, dealing with everything that's going on with uh, the COVID scare, uh, for a lack of a better way of addressing it. Um, but all in all, the family as well, making adjustments uh, with everything that is going on, uh, but holding firm in the things that we believe in, the things that we believe we should be doing. Um, today is Wednesday and, uh, it's relationship Wednesday. Haven't done one in a while, but, uh, there are some things floating around, uh, that got my attention and I felt that it was a good time to talk about this. Now I'm going to be talking along the line specifically of, uh, relationships with life partners, wives, husbands, and the like. Uh, I'm not going to try to specify it in any particular arena. I want to talk about it historically. Um, I may use some uh, religious or biblical uh, references uh, to illuminate points, um, but I want to talk about the nature of the relationship and the history of the relationship and why in a Western world, we're dealing with a 50% uh, divorce rate and relationship struggle. And so I'll start with that um, by talking about when I got ready to write my fourth book. Uh, those of you that follow me know that uh, I'm working right now on book number 22. Uh, but when I wrote my fourth book, one that I'm extremely proud of, one that I'm actually bringing back to print, it still can be found right now in digital form on Barnes and Noble's website. And uh, maybe if, uh, I'm pretty sure a few, quite a few others. Uh, the name of the book is When Your House is Not a Home. It deals with preparation for entering into marriage and it deals with um, how to manage and have conflict and what brings about conflict in a marriage. Um, and I wrote this book as a result of having failed at marriage. That's why I kind of smile and laugh at people who say that you can't take advice from someone who's never been married or someone who has failed at marriage. Um, some of your greatest experts are people who have failed at the thing that you desire to know about. Uh, if they cared and had any concern as to why they failed, if they put any energy and effort into the failure, 
and, and when I went through what I went through and I'm sitting there and I'm saying, I can't do this again. There's no doubt in my mind that I want to be married, but I don't want to fail at marriage again. So I had other relationships, but I was looking at myself and I was trying to learn what role I played. That's something I talk to people and I tell people all the time that come to me for counseling and they're talking about their failed relationships. And there's this series of failed relationships. My question is always, who is the common denominator? I'm not marginalizing or minimalizing what someone has done to you. I'm not telling you that they didn't do something wrong to you. I'm not telling you that they did not violate your trust. I'm not telling you whatever happened didn't happen. What I'm telling you is that you're the common denominator. And for them to even be in a position to do the things that you are saying that they've done to you, you played a role in that, whether you realize it or not. And so until you deal with the things that made that person uh, acceptable to you, because you meet a person, immediately there are signs and signals that go off at a number of different levels. Uh, from behavior to spiritual signals that speak to your own spirit. Uh, you can call it uh, spiritual awareness. You can call it discernment. You can call it a intuition. You can call it a bunch of things. But at the end of the day, we are designed to really recognize when something is right or wrong right off the bat. We have been trained by all the checklists and all the intellectual dynamics that to ignore our intuition, to ignore our discernment, to ignore, ignore those initial red flags and to look at the checklist. There are a bunch of women right now, either married to men or divorced from men or have been harmed or hurt by men in which their discernment told them that that man wasn't the right one. But because he checked off the list, he had the job, he had the car, he had the history, he was handsome and well, he had the six pack, he had all of that. But the discernment said no, but the checklist said yes. So they overrode the, the, the discernment and went for the checklist and they dealt with the consequences of that. But when I wrote that book, what a, I did a lot of research. I talked to couples who had been married forever. I talked to couples who failed tremendously. I observed the things that went on in my marriage. Um, I, I, I read I mean, probably 60 books. Uh, one of the most emphatic books is a book called Sacred Marriage by uh, Gary Thomas. And it is, it's a book that's based on uh, biblical principles about marriage, but it talks about a premise or principle idea or philosophy that I hold dear. And it's expressed on the cover of the book. You never have to even get into the book before your mind shifts into a new way of thinking about relationships. Uh, hey, how's it going, Levi? And the question on the book cover is, matter of fact, let me read it so I don't misquote it. This is the book I'm talking about, Sacred Marriage by Gary Thomas. Been had it for a while. It's the pages to turn colors. But anyway, it says, what if God designed marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy? And I read that and immediately it made me uncomfortable because we live in a world where everything is about somebody making us happy, which is a 
erroneous idea and concept in and of itself. Happiness comes from within. You can get people who are capable of creating the right environment for you uh, to be happy. But happiness is something that comes from within. Happiness is a decision and it must be committed, a committed effort to uh, honor the decision to be happy. You are the person that's going to determine whether you're going to be happy or not. If you're trusting or waiting on or hoping someone else will come along and make you happy, you're setting yourself up for failure and you're being for failure and being uh, very unfair to the other person. But it says, what if God designed marriage to make us holy more than to make us happy? Now, in order to really get that, you got to deal with a little um, uh, ling linguistic maneuvering to gain an understanding. Uh, we use the word holy a lot, especially uh, those that are truly connected to one religion or another use the word holy a lot. And very few people have an understanding of what holy is. We got a lot of people who function from a position of self-righteousness and they talk about all the things they do right and the things that they don't do wrong. And they think that's holy. Uh, holiness is a term that was referred to. If you're talking biblical uh, or you're talking ancient, whatever, it is a reference of God's character. And it, he is considered holy because God has a standard and he never violates his standard. So if, in other words, God's standard is his values and his holiness is his integrity. Integrity is the strength of character. That's all it is. That's why I say character and integrity. Integrity is the, uh, is the strength of your character. In other words, structural engineers will know what I'm talking about because they use the same term, but in a different way. Structural integrity is, okay, a bridge is designed to accomplish a certain thing. And the integrity of that bridge says how much it can live up to what it was designed to do. So if it was designed to allow automobiles to cross over from one side to the other, and it has a structural integrity designed for so many kilotons at one time, before it becomes compromised. The integrity says it can stand up to that based off of examinations of its structure. In other words, it has to be examined often to find out if there are any cracks, any breaks, any uh, things coming loose or whatever that will compromise the integrity. So when we talk about holiness and we talk about holiness in, in as it pertains to God, we're simply talking about the fact that God never violates his own values. Whatever God holds true to his values, God always performs. And so that means God is holy. And then you come with the scripture says, be holy for I am holy. Well, then what if God's design for marriage was more to make us holy than it was to make us happy? What if God designed marriage to be the training ground? for integrity development, the training ground for the building and the solidification of our character. What if this place was the, gonna be the greatest uh, arena of sacrifice? What if you were gonna have to learn in marriage to put someone before you put yourself? What if you were gonna have to learn in marriage uh, the important uh, 
elements and components of leadership and what it really means that being the head actually means being the foundation which means being on the bottom what if it what if what if what if, what if you had to learn some things in marriage that made you uncomfortable and you found yourself in places that were were uncomfortable more than you found yourself saying, oh man, I'm so happy. I'm not saying you're not supposed to be happy in marriage. I'm saying that marriage has a much more higher purpose than fun and happiness. You should be happy if you're living in your purpose. You should be happy if you're having an impact on the world. You should be happy if you are actually leaving a legacy behind, you know, so th that that's a lot. So what, 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 what I've learned uh, in this, and I saw a post by a high school friend, someone that I still communicate with, that I still talk to, that is hilarious uh, and has always been tight. Uh, I played football with her brother, but she uh, was talking about, you know, a class, a master class on uh, wifehood, you know, how to be a good wife and whatever that that means for them. And she posted something that says that you are designed to be whatever your husband is not good at. And that is a major concept. That is a major reality that most people miss. We love to talk about how we are so much alike. We love to talk about how we finish each other's sentence. We love to talk about the, 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 the way that we think and operate and act in the same way. And, and it's good to have some people that you, you need to be headed in the same direction. You need to have the same goals, but how you get there and how you think are going to be different. We're designed to be different. Um, there's another book. I uh, can't think of the guy, the author's name is uh, Eckhart, but I can't think of his first name, but it's his needs, her needs, uh, a design for a blueprint for uh an affair-proof marriage, and it talks about the differences. Another one is uh, love and respect, um, and that one talks about the things that we desire. Men desire respect more than anything else. Uh, women desire love and security more than anything else. And so, when you think you're you're doing something by giving the person what you desire, you're not necessarily meeting their needs because a man desires something different. Men desire respect before we desire love. We desire to be needed before we want to be wanted. We need a place where we have purpose. And the problem is we don't design those type of environments anymore. And most men don't even understand this about themselves because they are not being properly socialized, mentored, taught, fathered, parented, uh, and so forth. But in essence, what we're talking about is you have to have a greater appreciation for the counterbalance in your relationship. God designed us differently, male and female, to have different focuses. And I think that we often dismiss and lack the appreciation of the differences rather than understanding that I was designed to be what she's not and she was designed to be what I'm not and that there will be times that that difference in design, in, in mentality and physicality and emotion and philosophy and so many other ways will sometimes create friction 
but the iron also sharpens iron in the relationship. And, and people lose that. We think about that when we're hanging with our men. We think about that when we're hanging with our brothers. Uh, you know, iron sharpens iron. But iron sharpens iron in the relationship as well, in the marriage as well. When you're sitting there and there's two differences in ideologies, it's the responsibility of both to hear both sides and to come to an agreement. Uh, if one person is more aggressive and a risk taker, the other needs to be more conservative to bring balance. Now, one should not deride the other for who they are. They should find a way to connect so that both are benefiting from what the other is good at. See, if you've got a person and both of you are good at the same thing, you still have the same exposed weaknesses. If, if, if you, 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 you need someone who is good at the things that you're not good at. And you need to be open to listening to what they're saying because they're gonna bring a, a sense of awareness to any situation that you will not naturally have. And, and it's important and I think that's one of the places in, that we fail miserably is we want someone that agrees with everything we say. We want someone who agrees with everything we do. We don't want to get in the trenches in the marriage. We don't want to get in the trenches in the relationship. We don't want to deal with the differences and the challenges. That's where the strength is built. That's where the integrity is solidified. That's where weaknesses are shored up is in the differences because you can't be everything. And the reason why there's this synergy that's created when you merge the masculine energy of the husband with the masculine, I mean, with the feminine energy of the woman, you get a synergy, which is the sinking of energies to achieve that which can not be done as individuals. So in other words, the sinking of Masculine energy and feminine energy creates a synergy, a greater force through which things can be accomplished at which one at what at, at which what time the two become one. That's why I kind of shudder when I hear the divisiveness in the speech of people who are supposed to be married. The more divided you are the more exposed you are. If you don't recognize yourself and see yourself as one in, 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 in totality, in uh, philosophy, in, in thing, and it doesn't mean you agree on everything. In fact, that should be some things you don't agree on because if, if she isn't bringing balance, you're still off keel. If he isn't bringing balance, you're still off keel. If you don't have some times where you're on two different sides of the spectrum, creating the balance you need because the pull and the force of being one will bring you to the middle or close to it. It's the natural force. But when you're acting in division, OK, if you're going to do that, then I'm going to do this. Then you expose yourself. If you have someone that agrees with everything that you say, you still have the imbalance and you still have. Uh, exposure. The truth is, if God wanted us to think alike and be exactly like our mate, he would have made us all the same. There's a difference in the way the woman operates in her femininity and the man operates in his masculinity, and it's by design. It is in the ignorance of the design 
and the escaping of the purpose of balance in contrast that so many marriages fold. You're looking for someone that agrees with everything you do. You just want to go have fun. You're not looking at the purpose, not looking at why you were actually designed and put into this place, into this world. You only look at, do we have fun together? Can we get this? Do we that? How much we're doing this? How much we're doing that? And I'm not saying that you shouldn't have fun, that that that, that shouldn't be enjoyment in life. You should enjoy one another as much as possible. But you should also understand you're here for a purpose. You're here for work. You've got work that God gave you by way of design. It's inside of you. It's a part of who you are. You can't escape it. And the thing is, most of you have come together. If you truly found somebody that's your soulmate, you came together because of your work. There are some things that you care about passionately where you're in sync. But you will allow the differences and the contrasts that are natural and a part of life to come in and create these crevices and these cracks and these orifices and openings that allow uh, negativity to come in and create division. Because once you're divided, the house will fall. It's that simple. There is no perfect mate. Marriage is what you make it, period. I can tell you this, not just from the life that I've lived. I can tell you this because I have counseled many. I have studied many, many, many more in just uh, wanting to be as aware and knowledgeable as possible for writing that book, but also with all the people I've counseled since. And I can tell you this. There's not one marriage that I've been exposed to as a counselor, uh, as a former member of the clergy, um, as a friend, and as a human being myself, in which the person in the marriage, either person in the marriage, couldn't find something to complain about every day. Not one. So it boils down to what do you focus on? Because what you focus on, you feel. If I decide to focus on negative, all I'm going to see is negative. If I decide that I'm going to see the positive uh, in the person I'm with and I'm going to nurture the positive and I'm going to give them the space to be the person they are that I sometimes don't necessarily agree with or find, you know, comfortable space with. Am I going to do that or am I going to sit up and whine and complain? Because I can. there's not a person in the world that I can get with that I can't find something to complain about, period. It's actually, am I going to appreciate the balance that she brings? Am I going to appreciate the honesty that she brings? Am I going to appreciate what the very things that made her attractive to me in the beginning? Or am I going to start to try to pick her apart um, because of this or because of that? And finally, you know, we, we make these vows. And I tell people all the time, be careful of the vows because we are traditional. We're highly traditional and real ritualistic. So we tend to take on things because that's how it's always been done. So the vast majority of us had in our marriages have had vows that go something like you're going to do all this. And you might have written your own vows and said them, but that's something the preacher is going to say and is going to say, you know, 
through sickness and health, through rich or poor, for better or for worse, to death do you part, right? I always tell people, if you don't mean it, tell the preacher to take it out because it's a different type of mindset that can be committed to that. And you need to know who you're marrying before you make that commitment. Because the vast majority, as soon as it gets rough, they're already contemplating irreconcilable differences as a means of escape. I don't know a marriage, and I'm being honest with you because you need to be honest with yourself. I don't know a marriage from my grandparents who I I loved and I watched them and put up 43 years until my grandfather passed away at age 83. They put up 43 years. They got they came together late in life after failing at marriage, each of them twice. They came together. They were each other's third and they put in 43 years and closed it out with my grandfather dying at the age of 83. And I still look at that and it wasn't perfect. It was what they made of it. You know, I can't find one marriage that I've been exposed to where if the persons didn't want to complain and you can see it sometimes that, you know, OK, they're not on the same page and it's and they're irritated with one another. But they had this level of commitment and an understanding of covenant that we don't talk about. See, covenant holds you in place when your emotions will not. Let me say that again. Covenant holds you in place when your emotions are saying, I'm tired. Covenant holds you in place when you're on two different pages and it doesn't seem. Covenant says, I made a promise before God that I was going to stand firm and that I was going to see this through. And that life in history has shown me that anything worth having is something that I'm going to have to fight ferociously for over time. I'm going to have to fight to have it. I'm going to have to fight to keep it. I'm going to have to fight to sustain it and grow it. It is not meant to be easy. It's meant to be rewarding. The truth is a bunch of people are going to go spend their entire lives going from relationship to relationship, looking for something that doesn't exist. The perfect marriage. Take what you have. And evaluate it before you even get to the point of talking marriage. If it doesn't have what it takes to get through the long distance, I don't mean, you know, for men. You know, the cooking, great. Don't get me wrong. My wife can cook, but I also can cook. So we share the cooking duties. Uh, but, you know, all the things that's on the surface will actually be better when you deal with the things that are beneath. This is your life partner. So you have to ask yourself, Honestly, ask yourself, am I respecting her contrast, 
are his contrast, meaning in the areas where we think different and act different. Am I actually respecting that? Or am I in some way marginalizing it or treating it as an antagonistic reality in my relationship? My wife isn't supposed to think like me. In many ways, she's supposed to be my counterbalance. She reels me in. She gives me a more vivid picture of now because I'm always living in the future. You know, all oh, that's good, baby, but we got this right now. That that and I have to get back and say, okay, I get it, I get it, okay. Let me let me deal with it. Let me deal with it. And I am the one who pulls her into the future. Because she is going to be the solid, safe person. And sometimes you have to take risks. There is no gain without risk. There is no such thing as a no-risk investment in any area of life. Your marriage was not a no-risk investment. If you start a business, it's a no-risk investment. If you get a job, it's not a no-risk investment. There are a bunch of risks. And that's what I try to teach people. No matter what route you take, there's going to be a risk. There's no such thing as no risk. The thing is, what is the, is there an asymmetric risk reward feature in what you're doing? Or you, do you stand to gain way more than you stand to lose? That's the way the game is played on any level. Well, you're talking about your best investors in finance, your best investors in business, your best, in, best in investors in relationships. Asymmetric risk reward. What that means is I stand to lose something, but I stand to gain way more than I stand to lose. It's worth taking the risk. On that note, I'm going to get ready to get out of here. Don't forget, there are a bunch of extra resources in the description box. Check it out. For those of you who are keeping up with what we're doing in the community, support the work we're doing. I'm going to get on and leave on. I'm about to get off here. I got a client to get with, but I just had to stop in and share with you guys. You guys have an unbelievable day. On that note, as I always say, I'm going to live my life on full. That means I'm not taking anything to the grave with me. No, no undone work to the grave. No unactualized potential to the grave. I'm, I'm leaving this world on empty. I'm going to live on full and die on E. That's my challenge to you. Live each day on full. On that note, I'm out. Thank you.